Welcome to No Hope, the podcast. Is Josh Groban wearing a fat suit? Hello. Hello. No Hope, the podcast, your great escape from everything is right here for you once again. You can just, I'm Tim A. Miller. And I'm Scott Schneider. And, and we, we write musicals. You can, yeah, you can just like curl under a blanket with us and just pretend that there's no outside world. Just nestle up with us. You can also pretend like you know us because let's be honest, you probably do if you're still listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, no, I've noticed I've gotten a few less texts <laughs> these last few weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Early going, it's like, oh, yeah, listen to your episode. That's great. Uh, it is a weird, fucked up, and wonderful world all at the same time yeah. right now. Like, seriously, though. Like, <laughs> seriously. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's like, I thought we were just on this endless march of doom, and then we had some good news this week. We had some good news in Pride Month. We mm-hmm. had some. We had. We have some good news in coming out of Minneapolis. We have some good news I mean, uh, well, let's not pretend yeah. that there's any real good news coming out of the White House, but <laughs> there's a lot of movement, and that feels exciting and different, I think. I don't know. I yeah. mean, I mean, it does feel like we're going through a painful period of change right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, that's not what we're here to talk about. No. We're here to talk about musicals, but it would be, I think... Um, mildly ridiculous of us and certainly privileged to not acknowledge, you know, what's happening in the world. So uh, we are, that's, uh, you know, obviously we are in support of the protests and everything that is happening to change policing. And um, I think that's all we're going to say. Yeah. Um, uh, The only thing, the only tiny thing I'm going to add is the first week of the protests, I was not in New York. I was, well, I mean, I was in New York state, but um, after three months of, you know, sort of sheltering in my one bedroom, I was like, oh my God, I I just, I I like need to get out of the city for like a week, which I did. But it was like very strange to be out of the city when all of that sort of started up in such a major way. I mean, I've lived in New York city during some like pretty interesting times. As you know, I moved like right to the city in June of 2001. Um, and it was like, you know, oddly comforting in a way to be here. Um, and yeah, so this, this was like the first sort of major happening of New York in the last 20 years that I didn't sort of feel in the epicenter. And I, I was, Yeah. Not not not, not in a rush to come back to a pandemic, but was like, but was like, I need to like be home for for this. Yeah, it's same. We were uh, we were in Pennsylvania, and it felt also extremely weird to be so disconnected, and Mm -hmm. yet, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, not having the same level of news intake for sure because we don't have any television there which is amazing oh that's amazing you know still like reading and and keeping up to date and and seeing what's happening and and yeah feeling weird like feeling but um yeah anyway the good news is like i came back and felt like myself again yeah 
yeah, it's nice to be back here for a couple of nights to um, record and chat with you. Let's yeah. talk about let's talk uh, about I, some stuff. I think we have um, our wonderful section which helps us highlight all of the things that we didn't know previously when we talked about them the rewind rewind and you said i believe that you have some rewinds um i do just oh some like two minor quick ones from our last chat with shanna which is um you both looked at me like I was crazy when I said, hey, isn't this the musical that Michael Crawford was in? And indeed it was the musical that David Crawford was in. You know, he, the actor famous for, of course, Phantom of the Opera. Um, So yeah, I looked that up. He headed the cast as a character apparently known as Count, Count, Count Count Von Krawlock. Sure. I think, I mean, I'm sure that that was the main character, but the reason that I didn't realize that that was Michael Crawford is because I saw this production. I saw a (laughs) German production in Berlin, so obviously Michael Crawford was not in that. But I swear, right after we got off the the, the Zoom, um, last time I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, that was Michael Crawford. I don't know why we didn't know. Wasn't there another... vampire there or... was that's why i was like okay. Oh, okay i'm definitely wrong it's that other one but of course now i i also forget what that was but that, that there was like right around the same time like another vampire musical i i don't know i don't know and um, i don't know if we talked about this but no we didn't in fact this is another little rewind that's related to that is that um Total Eclipse of the Heart, I looked this up afterward also, <laughs> was actually written originally for this musical. I mean, Jim Steinman. What? Uh, yeah. Jim Steinman, when he started writing Bad Out of Hell, he, he was basically trying to write a musical for, mm. I believe, like 30 years. He started that that in college. Then somehow it ended up in Meatloaf's lap. That's how Meatloaf became huge. Then there was that follow-up album. Um, I don't know if you know, but like he wrote songs for, uh, well, we, we talked about um, Air Supply recorded that song, Making Love Out of Nothing at All in the 80s. He wrote that song. I th- incorrectly thought that song was also in Dance of the Vampires. It was not. But Total Eclipse of the Heart was written for this musical and was originally written for a vampire to sing. And then somehow Bonnie Tyler ended up singing... <laughs> total eclipse of the heart i mean isn't that just like even more of a like long winding path than joseph and the amazing technicolor dreamcoat i mean seriously (laughs) i mean so bizarre so bizarre so total eclipse of the heart is the centerpiece of dance of the vampires but it's not like a jukebox thing it was actually written with that intention originally wow so I I don't know how... I am sure that 99.9% of the people that saw that musical did not know that was the case. No, I'm sure. Absolutely (laughs) not. Absolutely not. Oh, my goodness. So the the only other thing from that that episode was um, when I was listening to it back, I was chuckling because... Um, when Shanna was telling her like extremely funny story about like her like date gone awry <laughs> with the cast member of Dance of the Vampires, she she talked about how she like you know sort of like lied her her way out of the date and then uh, uh, left and went to therapy and she kept talking about being at therapy and with friends at therapy and I'm like 
oh my God, people may not even understand that therapy is a gay bar in New York City. And it just and, made and, the story even funnier to me. And it like and sounded not, like she not ran that she was actually the, like, yeah, like to, to a therapist. Like she ran office. to a therapist at like 1130 <laughs> at night or something. Like, I need to talk to you. <laughs> so I figured she, she will appreciate that as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, you know, probably most people do know what it is since most people probably know us. True. But, you know, every once in a while when I check out where people are listening, yeah. there is a random location where I'm like, I definitely don't know anybody there. So that's kind of that's kind of fun and exciting. That's that maybe, fun. Maybe a few people. Where? Like North, like North, North Korea or something? Uh, got well, some it's funny because the first time I saw <laughs> South Korea, I was like, oh, but then I forgot that's where William lives. So... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we're broadening our audience. We are stretching out. Um, I think it was the UK. I was like, I don't. I mean, I of course I know a few people in the UK, but I was I was uh, I was excited to you see got a little, someone got in the a UK. little tingle. Got a little yeah, tingle I was excited. Um, I have one which we talked about before, but just that um, she was talking about Joanna Gleason and Joanna Gleason. I mean, I know who Joanna Gleason yeah, is, and Joanna Gleason has a has had a huge career. When I looked up her fucking IMDb, <laughs> yeah. it's like massive. She's been on like so many like television shows, and yeah, like I think. That the the sitcom that that Shanna was trying to remember her short lived sitcom was called Love and War. Okay, but it lasted for three seasons, which is is actually I mean I guess in comparison to like Cheers, it's short lived or Friends, but three seasons is yeah, a fairly respectable a, amount of time for a solid a, run. A sitcom, I kind of I kind of vaguely remember that. I, mean, I don't was... remember it at all. Yeah. Um, this, but it, it, the sitcom also featured Annie Potts and yeah. Susan Day, which okay. I thought was fascinating. I there love, were some, there were a few men in there too that I, I love. Me some I, Annie. I love me some Annie Potts. She's still um, on. Annie Potts is still kicking it on TV these days. Oh, is she? Yeah, she's on the uh, like the Young Sheldon show. And it's like okay, okay. far and away the best thing about it. But. but isn't she also primarily was a stage actor? Annie Potts. Yeah. I have or no, no idea. Has she always I, been I mean, I only know okay. of her of like her television gigs, uh, but I guess for it's some possible. Reason, for some reason, I was thinking that she was a stage person, but um, yeah, I mean, she was like one of the original uh, Annies, actually. I'm no, totally, I'm totally making that up. <laughs> like, obviously, like not age appropriate either. Anyway, Joanna Gleason was this. These just a few other thing, a few other credits. She was in three episodes of Different Strokes. Oh, okay. she was in the films Hannah and Her Sisters, Heartburn, and yeah. Boogie Nights. What? Did you know that she was apparently she was Dirk's mother in Boogie Nights? She I did was? not remember oh, that. That's what it says. Wow, I've yep. seen that movie like a decent number of times too she was also on uh she had a little stint on er a several episode stint she had a several episode stint on the west wing and this was i thought pretty interesting she voiced marie's mother for eight episodes of king of the hill oh okay so and then there's literally dozens of other stuff that i I did not write down but i thought well that's that's fun well i know her first and most and best as the baker's wife from into the woods okay i mean you know <laughs> that's great Which i wish i had seen her a brilliant performance and 
uh yeah and when i i i sort of after that episode i i i binged a little bit on some into the woods and she was phenomenal and deserved her tony very much I need to do that. I need to go back and, and watch some of that because um, this is another rewind that I and then I promise I'll be done because it's not a complete one. But I am about halfway through the novel of Wicked. Oh, and okay. it is um, obviously, as you said, originally when we talked about the musical, which I think was the first yeah, thing that we talked a- about. The, your first dislike, uh, my first maybe dislike. or early, yeah, yeah, yeah very early. First, first one. Um, it is obviously very different than the stage version, and I am actually like, did any of these things happen in the stage version? So now I'm going to have to go back and revisit and like that. the basic yeah. plot of. The, well, I don't know if I'll actually go see it again, but at least like look at what the plot is and it's inter- it's going to be interesting because they are making a movie that of that i'm sure right Ugh. they're making a movie oh, I'm musical sure. yeah i mean i'm sure um it wow. will be interesting to see if any any of the the actual sort of like meat is reattached or if they're just going to do sort of a straight version of the musical itself so but i'm really enjoying the book a lot so thank yeah. you for, well, so you thank can, you for that loan sure and you can enjoy or yeah you can appreciate perhaps we'll, we'll see once you get to the end my disappointment with the <laughs> Well, I'm already disappointed, and I'm only half the show. <laughs> exactly, because I was just like, oh, "This could have been like a much more interesting show," and that's not the route they took. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I think it's my turn to start this time. Uh, go for it. So I am going to talk about a musical that I love. Great. So this is my little intro. In the winter of 2005, I went back to my undergraduate alma mater, Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas, also known as the Little Apple, to direct a play. And I found myself driving my stepdad's red pickup truck through the frigid streets of my you know late teens and early 20s. Um, and I found myself listening to the new album from a band that my friend Scott McLean had discovered also back in our K-State days when we would drive through Midwestern thunderstorms to Kansas City to hit gay bars, singing along at the top of our lungs. So this was there was this weird, very weird cyclical moment, you know, um, and it was one of those rare times, which happens even so much more rarely these days, but where I just listened to only that one album for pretty much the entire time I was in Manhattan, hmm. which was about five, five weeks or six weeks. Wow. Um, it was primarily an album of rage. Again, to take another leap reminiscent of the rage so many Americans have been feeling for the past three and a half years, which has in many ways culminated in the moment we're seeing happen across the country right now. So when I sat down at the St. James Theater, for some reason, I was alone. I don't remember why John wasn't there. Smack dab in the middle of the orchestra, and I let that beautiful rage wash over me as I watched Green Day's American Idiot, a stunningly moving and highly imperfect musical that I love. Wow. Um, did you see it? Uh, I'm about to s- confess I never saw that show, which I don't know why. 
Like, I really, uh, really liked that album, like, a lot when I listened to it, and I listened to it a lot. I have, like, no idea why I did not go see that show. So, but wow. I guess this is okay. going to be one of those episodes where one has to educate the other, because... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember, and like, kind of wanting to see... You know what? I, like, well, I kind of remember, like, wanting to see it and just thinking, like, oh, I'll get around to it, and then I just never did. It was like, one of those situations. Yeah, and it, it ran... Yeah, well, okay. So, this the story is pretty simple. And, <laughs> and and you know, it, it, it's not... It is a, it's a concept album that does have some sort of structure to it, but it is definitely not a linear narrative. It would... I, I think it, it probably would have worked even more if they had gone somewhat further with... Um, with uh, the surreal aspects of, of, mm-hmm. of the music, but you know you're you're dealing with um, uh, th- th- what they did was they tried to apply this story to it, and it was it was still obviously very satisfying. I I, I loved it, but basically the story ex- expanded from the album and very simply but aptly put centers on three disaffected young men who are friends: Johnny, played by John Gallagher Jr., Will, played by Michael Esper. And Tunney, uh, I don't know if he originated the role, but when I saw it, the stunningly beautiful Stark Sands, who later was in Kinky Boots. So Johnny and Tunney flee a stifling suburban lifestyle and parental restrictions while Will stays at home to work at his relationship with his pregnant girlfriend, Heather. The former pair look for meaning in life and try out the freedom and excitement of the city. Tunney quickly gives up on life in the city, joins the military, and is shipped off to war. Johnny turns to drugs and finds a part of himself that he grows to dislike, has a relationship, and experiences lost love uh, with uh, Rebecca Naomi Jones, who plays the character given the um, the moniker of What's Her Name, um, <laughs> which was one of the songs. So you kind of understand why they did this, but that was certainly one of the... Um, problems with the show is that the storylines even for the men were were very thin but the storylines for the women who were in each of their lives were even thinner hmm. uh but you know rebecca and amy jones right i don't i you, don't know okay she Do was I? in she was in passing strange Didn't um, see that. which was her broadway debut in 2007 she was in hedvig oh, um, okay. which i think she must did she take over for um Lena? Lena Hall? I have no idea. I think she must have I taken only over saw Lena, Hall. Lena Hall in, a, in that, in yeah. the three times that I saw it. Okay. I'm pretty sure that I saw her once. Hmm. And then, did you see the Oklahoma revival? Yeah. Oh, of course. She was, she, that was her. What do you mean, that was her? She played... Um, uh, the lead? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Not Curly, but... Lori. <laughs> Lori. She yes. played Lori. I was, I was failing on that. <laughs> Um, to come up with the character name oh uh, and then yeah. and then this you'll find this interesting just because i went on this little tiny tiny um wormhole with her is she um uh, she performed in the children's chorus of the metropolitan opera Did she? in her youth yes wow. she's yeah, a new yorker had, yeah we've yeah. had we've had a decent uh number of people that have come up through that children's chorus so um the book was written by billy joe and the director michael Mayer. i also meant to look up some more of Michael Mayer because I thought it was a brilliant, um, a brilliant job as a director and not to be confused with Michael grief. 
who I do not think is a brilliant director. Um, so it contains the entire album of American Idiot, as well as some songs from the follow-up concept album, 21st Century Breakdown, which is hmm. which has some really strong songs on it, but overall is definitely not as strong of an album as um, American Idiot. It, be, um, it was released in September of 2004, so literally like, I think I was in Kansas like five months after it released and, and I had a little CD player. And so I bought the CD and like I said, put it in there and just listened to it for like five or six weeks. Um, the journey of how they made the album is also pretty interesting. They'd started writing sort of a follow-up, you know, ordinary Green Day album um, after their last album had kind of I, I mean, tanked. Yeah, basically. When, I don't think there were any singles off of it. When, when was the like the for, the album before that? Like, how long ago was it before that? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure it like they were making. You know, it's it used to be like artists would make albums like every two years, yeah. approximately. So I feel like it was within that. Okay. You know, 12, 18 to eighteen to twenty four month period. Okay. So they had basically recorded. Um, they had been working for almost all of 2002 on this album and the masters were stolen. Oh, like all of this was stolen. So they were, they, they were kind of like, they threw their, their hands up. They, excuse me. They, they, they were questioning whether they wanted to continue to work together and, and how they were working, how they were working together and whether they wanted to stay working together. And, their producer said, like, was the work that you guys just did, like, some of your best work? And they all unanimously said no. So so basically he was like, well, then why the fuck are you doing it? Go away. Start over again. And so they each three of them separately, which, you know, the, the, the band is Billy Joe's has had been Billy Joe's band really. And that was part of the, the tension I think in the working relationship. And so they went away and they each separately wrote like little snippets of songs. And they, that was the, when they first came together, that was how they sort of assembled um, the, uh, I think it's the Boulevard of broken dream sequence or the Jesus of suburbia sequence. Um, Jesus of suburbia is made up of like several different sort of movements. So, Anyway, that's kind of how the album came about. The album was hugely popular. Obviously, it was a, a very clear um, uh, statement against the Bush administration, against the Iraq war. Um, it was a, like I said, it was just a, a, a rage-filled album. It also had some some beautiful moments in it, um, but a lot, of, a lot of rage. And it really swept across the country as well as the UK. It was huge in the UK. They did a follow-up album called bullet in a bible i believe which hmm. they recorded the live uh, or sorry which was a live uh, a, a concert album and they recorded it in england um, that's how popular it was american idiot was in england so i am not exactly sure who the person was who came forward and said hey, we should make, make a show, a stage out, of show out of it hmm. it may have been michael mayer I, i'm not actually sure but um they, you know, they're from Oakland, um, and so they. There was a trial at the Berkeley Rep in two thousand and nine, and obviously they also either recorded the subsequent album, Twenty First Century Breakdown, 
before they had to have recorded it before um they started working to, on the show yeah, yeah because there are think. at least four or five songs from that show mm-hmm. or from that album um it opened at the saint james on broadway in march of 2010 and it ran for 422 performances so it was around for yeah I think, I, well I, over I, a year i remember it being yeah for sure like over a year and that's a big theater too you mm-hmm. know that's that's where i saw gypsy the um your, fa- many years your favorite my production favorite. of all time. My favorite. <laughs> um, so it was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, but lost that year to Memphis. But it did win oh. Tony's. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I haven't. A, did you see Memphis? I didn't need to. <laughs> oh. From 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 all of the clips I saw, it was kind of like next to normal. I was like, I think I know everything I need to know about this musical. I remember being like kind of annoyed that it won because it seemed so like just middle of the road to me. But and I like that. So neither of those shows I had seen. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. I, I had been rooting more for a show like American Idiot than Memphis. Um, it won Tony's for scenic design and lighting design only. Okay. Uh, it was actually uh, that was one of my. It was disqualified for nomination for best original score since less than fifty percent of the music was written uh, specifically was for the stage production. Yeah, hmm. because okay. it existed. So, um, which I guess we I knew that right. If you if you have a jukebox musical, you yeah, can't be you can for best no. score. Yeah, no, okay. No. Um, it, but it did win the Grammy that year for best musical show album, and that the the show album is really fucking great. If you have not listened to the I whole thing, should visit that. You should visit that. Yeah. You really, really, really should visit. It had a run in the West on the West End in 2015, which I read with shock in a 350 seat theater. I was like, oh my god. You know, I've always been moaning like how all these shows have to be in these massive venues. It would be insane to see that show in such a small venue. Um, it toured extensively through the U.S. as well as the U.K. and Australia, and it also had short productions in Canada, Argentina, Brazil, Portugal, Germany, South Korea, and Tokyo. Wow. Um, so it had it had a it had a good life. Um, it was supposed to be made into a film but and 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 there was actually uh there was several stages that it had gone through it was going to be first released as a um as a feature film and then hbo had come on has signed on as as a producer and now um unfortunately on the imd imdb page it says that billy joe has said it seems to have been scrapped so unfortunately i know i know it is a bummer because it sounded like they were really going to go for the more um did you see uh, the Julie Taymor uh, across the universe? No, no. You know, it's very much like these, but like surreal, bizarre, surreal. Yeah, I sequences remember. I remember a lot of like the, you remember clips, a lot of the stuff, imagery right? and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like st- so st- st- stuck in my brain. But. It kind of was was implying or hearkening to that sort of thing and i um and i thought oh when i first was reading it, i was like oh my god this is gonna be a movie and then it was like a few lines down it seems like it has now been scrapped hmm. so that is um yeah a bummer but do you you know the album right you've listened to the album totally have listened to the album i don't know it like within okay. every cell of my body but like um i listened well, so- to it a lot that first year that it came okay. out 
Well, no. songs songs that are that are familiar to people from the musical, or if you if you haven't listened to the musical, then you are seen the musical. But the albums are, of course, the title song "American yep. Idiot." Well, maybe I'm a faggot, America. I'm not a part of a redneck agenda. Now everybody do the propaganda and sing along to the age of paranoia. Jesus of Suburbia, Holiday um, was a pretty, ma- I think that was a pretty big hit also, a pretty uh, big individual hit as a pop song. Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Are We the Waiting, which is uh, one oh, of a my good one. favorite songs that when that choir comes in, um, this is the, the lyric is uh, forget me nots and second thoughts live in isolation heads or tails and fairy tales in my mind. Are we, we are, are we, we are the waiting unknown, the rage and love, the story of my life. The Jesus of suburbia is alive. And That song, it's like this when when the when it's again, it's like this group sort of desperate rage and demand. It's so fucking powerful when it comes in. Um, I wish um, I don't know what I was gonna say. I wish uh, more than anything that actually no, was that was not even like, the words <laughs> that I was going to say. I was gonna what I what I was going to say is that Boulevard of Bro- Broken Dreams. I remember being like my favorite song in the album. Like I That's really, great. really really liked that song. That is a great song. That is a great song. I walk alone, I walk up. My shadow's the only one that walks beside me. My shallow heart's the only thing that's beating. Sometimes I wish someone out there Give me Novocaine, know your enemy. So then, know your enemy and Twenty One Guns are both from the uh, the the subsequent album. They are not from the original American Idiot hmm. album. And then, if you have not, you I'm sure you watched the Grammys that year. I mean, that Grammy performance, and that is Rebecca Naomi Jones who starts that song um, of Twenty One Guns. It's so incredible. I just watched it again today. Uh, I can st- I still have the same emotional response to it. It's it's just a gorgeous gorgeous song. One twenty one guns, lay down your arms, give up the fight. One twenty one guns, throw up your arms into the sky. definitely check this out like i think i just kind of slept on this a little bit yeah i mean you know it happens wake me up when september ends oh yes of course oh my god i love that song and then what's her name (laughs) which (laughs) 
What's her name? You know. What's her name? You know. Um, I I wanted to read a few just because it did have, um, you know, it was definitely following in this tradition. And Peter Travers from Rolling Stone wrote, though American Idiot carries echoes of such rock musicals as Tommy Hair, Rent, and Spring Awakening, it cuts its own path to the heart. You won't know what hit you. American Idiot knows no limits. It's a global knockout. Now, that was... That's that's a rave review for me. He, he is not a rave reviewer. Um, the other, some of the other, I wanted to have two other re- reviews. Paul Taylor in The Independent hails American Idiot as the hair of its generation. Yet, as noted by Harry Lou in the Indianapolis Business Journal, which I thought was <laughs> fascinating, okay. its female characters are sketched even lighter than the main men are. Oh. Although intended to empower the disillusioned youth of early 21st century America, American Idiot excludes the female voice from this discourse. This disempowering of the female is evident in the fact that the female leads are denied identity, let alone <laughs> oh, agency. Just one of the three is given a name and all represent a stereotypical form of woman, the mother, the artistic muse, and the object of the voyeuristic male gaze. Oops. I mean, Harry Lou, who knew, right? Yeah. I mean, at, in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis of all places. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, um, but as I said, for me, this show was, it. it's weird because it's, um, I like to go to the theater to think, but I definitely, it made me realize, especially when, it, you know, putting these lists together, you realize what you're really drawn to. Mm-hmm. And I do like, to think but i like to feel more like i'm more interested in feeling when i go to the theater and having that sort of visceral emotional response to something and this is definitely a show about feeling it doesn't always make sense yeah um like i said that the storyline is threadbare but i still fucking love it and it's going to be really interesting to me to see if this show will ever like have a revival you know what i mean like is this the kind of thing or was it just was it just that Particular. sort of historical moment in time and hmm. and will it have any sort of life after that? I, I I don't know. I mean, I suppose if the movie, if there was a movie coming out, then that would be, you know, that sort of impetus to like maybe yeah. reintroduce it in on stage again. But um, of course, in the in the current situation that we're in, like who knows when theater is going to return in that fashion. So it's right. it is. Um, yeah. But just such a moving experience. I, I, I was, I just sat in my seat stunned and, um, and just high on rage and emotion for it's, and it's like a 90 minute show, you know, Mm -hmm. it's also, it's like a one act show. So you get it all just coming at you. Um, there was a couple of interesting tidbits like Billy Joe did play St. Jimmy, who is kind of this alter ego drug dealing character of, of Johnny, um also melissa etheridge stepped in for a she moment and did? yeah 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 yeah. she was I, she was featured for like six or eight weeks oh i God. can't remember exactly so that one role was kind of like the the you know the stunt casting role yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it was it was just like someone who could fucking sing and they play, right. and they play had to play the guitar so um that was uh uh, I I did not see either of them. I saw the original uh, actor in that role. Well, and, a, and fantastic. A, Ali Sheedy went in too, right? 
Ali, <laughs> Ali Sheedy just does. She just makes the rounds. Can you imagine? Oh my god, if she <laughs> stepped into that, I'd be like, "Well, I didn't get to see her in Hedberg, but I'm seeing her in an American Idiot." God I'm gonna it. see her in American Idiot. So I would, I would go see that. That is, uh, that's all I have to say about American Idiot. I, I love it. Um, I listened to it today, like almost all day. And I was were like, you weep, oh my, were you weeping? I was, I was totally <laughs> weeping. I mean, I was actually kind of afraid when we were talking about it because yeah. I was kind of, I was weeping even just thinking about talking about it. And I was like, oh my God, I hope You're that like, I don't gonna, like, like lose it. I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> um, I like felt that way, like in a weird way, just like, I mean, not, not like not that intensely, but a, a little bit about Jesus Christ Superstar, just cause like I have like such, you- an, such an affinity for that and i was like you know a couple a couple you know like the the whole judas death scene i was definitely like i wonder if i'm going to become a little unglued when we talk about it but yeah you do but i'm 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 proud of you you did not just i didn't openly weeping i mean if i had read any more lyrics i think that would have been (laughs) cut the track cut the track cut the track (laughs) yeah so um well, I wish right. I wish I feel a little more educated than we started. I wish I could have participated more. I'm like still don't quite understand why I slept on that show, but I will definitely do my homework. Yeah, you should check out a few of those a few of those songs and especially the at least the Grammy performance. I think you'll remember it once you start watching it, but um cool. So let's let's hear from Shift. you and get some fucking shit out. I'm so I, curious. Once again, we did not. Uh, we didn't make I know, we sure came, that we. <laughs> I know. You know what? I feel like it's just like working itself out. So I, it did well, one me. of these days, I know though, we yeah. are going to be like talking overlap about. Yeah, we're going to be talking yeah. about the same thing. Yeah, um, but I think it could be funny. I know. I, I keep thinking like, well, if it happens, it happens. Like, yeah, it'll, it could be funny, and we may have yeah. like different takes on the same thing. So yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, first and for, for, first and foremost, first and foremost, I'm a little nervous to talk about this because it's the first um, modern musical, if, if you will, like meaning like something from like the last couple of years um, that's come oh. out, which, yeah, so like, you it know, it feels different, doesn't it? It feels different. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, my God, I could like actually offend somebody that yeah. was like, yeah. Yeah. like worked really hard on this. Um, So that gave me pause. But I was like, oh, whatever. Like, I'm like 99.9% sure you saw this and that we had different experiences. And I thought it'd be fun to talk about it. <clears throat> we'll edit that out. Um <laughs> That's okay, because you like paused every five seconds to like burp, and you're like, "I'm not burping, I'm swallowing." Oh, is that what you're doing? Okay, yes. I was like, "Do you need to take some sort of medication or something?" No, it's uh, remember, okay. Michael yeah, yeah, is yeah, like, right. Michael's right. like, I can really hear you swallowing, yeah. so I'm like trying to move yeah, away from the microphone. Yeah, you when swallow, I swallow. And I clear my throat. <laughs> uh, 
we're imperfect human beings. You, I don't know. What can to you say imagine? Like, if we were sixty, it's gonna be. It's, oh God! If, if we're still, we're still I, doing this. <laughs> we're, I, we're, it's just gonna be a mess. That's a mess. A mess. Um. Anyway, so let me preface you know this by saying I I actually don't actively hate this musical. Um. I just found it disappointing, and I didn't necessarily have a great experience seeing it. So okay. Okay. Um, with that said, <laughs> the musical that I think I dislike is Natasha Pierre and the <gasps> Great Comet of eighteen twelve. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's a sung through musical adaptation of a seventy page segment from Leo Tolstoy's eighteen sixty nine novel War and Peace. Um, it was written by composer lyricist Dave Malloy and directed by Rachel Chavkin. That's how you say her name, I right? I think that's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also it's- directed Hades Town, right? Yes, yes, which I enjoyed much more than this. Um, It's based on volume two, part five of Tolstoy's novel, um, focusing on Natasha's affair with Anatole, probably butchering that character's name, and Pierre's search for meaning in his life. I'm from Indiana. I don't know these Russian names. Um, The musical, which I'll mention this like a little more in depth later, but it originally ran at the Ars Nova in 2012, um, followed by 2013 stagings in both the Meatpacking District and the Theater District. Um, Evidently a 2014 Spanish language version um, starring or uh, staging in Ecuador. Totally don't remember. Oh my that. gosh. Um, and a 2015 remounting at ART in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, and then it premiered on Broadway uh, in November 2016 at the Imperial Theater and closed in September 2017. So, Wait, so it ran for one year? Uh, less. Bit okay, less. Okay. Bit okay. less than a year. Um, so, yeah. So, sort of why did I not like this musical? I. I generally just didn't have that great of an experience with it, which part of it I feel like was more on me than the show. Um, I did not see any of the earlier incarnations. I waited all the way until the Broadway version. Um, and I remember reading about it in it some was, of it, those early incarnations and it was like well-reviewed. Uh, but and It was I, a huge mistake. It was yeah, a huge mistake for both of us because everyone yeah. I have talked to that saw it at the art at Ars Nova said it was a really terrific show. And I am pretty sure I probably would have liked it. Um, and I like once I read about it, like it, like fully in like the, the version that I think it was like in a tent in like yeah, Midtown. Yeah. I really wanted to see it, but at that point, it was like a really tough ticket, and it was like really fucking expensive, as I recall, because it was like this whole immersive thing, and there was like food and wine. Yes, and so yeah. it was just kind of like it was. Kind I of like think a it was. I think the tickets were starting at like one eighty, which yeah. at that moment was a lot. Of yeah. course, now that you're like, yeah, yeah you're like you that's know. a steal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just insane. Yeah. Yeah. So the other issue with with like my experience seeing the show is like on the evening that I saw it, I originally had I probably told you this, but I originally had tickets with um, with friends to see Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings uh, at King's oh. Theater in Brooklyn, which like wait you, on the same night on the same night. So I originally had tickets and like I love Sharon Jones and her. Yeah, know, she's been and I yeah. love the Dap Kings and like love her music but i had actually never seen her live um and so wick we i was so fucking stoked and like her live shows were are supposed to be like 
notoriously just energetic and fabulous. And then she passed away. Um, so we oh like had God, tickets to the show right. and this is I when she was like this. fighting this really long battle with cancer. And yeah, sadly she passed away. Um, which incidentally, <clears throat> have you seen, uh, the documentary on, Net- no, on Netflix? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. It's called Miss Sharon Jones. Uh, definitely check it out. Like she was a really amazing woman. Um, performer and she's also this you know uh this sort of like prime example of somebody who sort of got uh uh i won't even say famous but got like respected uh and like grew into their craft like later in life right which right, like, the, right. those sort of things are like always like particularly sweet uh yes so yes. yeah the, the, the bitter part though was yeah that she had this long battle with cancel that uh cancel good cancer that she uh unfortunately lost um so we we obviously were like bummed like like mourning sharon jones but and like also selfishly like the experience of like you know of like seeing her live and what was like no doubt gonna be like just like a fucking kick-ass show so so i decided like oh well why don't we see some like other form of entertainment you know to soften the blow a little bit and this was like totally my fault like i settled on the idea of the show but like the tickets were also pretty expensive. I don't know it's, yeah. if it's because yeah. they like removed a bunch of seats in the theater, but they were also like really expensive and, and tough to get. Yep. So we ended up getting seats pretty high on the balcony in the balcony, um, okay. which is like also probably not great for a show that's known for like being like an immersive experience. So so all of those yep. factors yep. like were like probably were sort of a little bit like painting the picture and like or color coloring the experience a little bit um so but actually like when we got into the theater i was like oh my god this is like really fucking cool and uh, like i think i experienced the best part of the show like before there was a single note of the show because the design was actually like the coolest thing they incorporated like cabaret tables like into the house and there were like chandeliers and uh they still did the onstage seating and they actually did a very good job of like trying to turn a broadway theater into like not a broadway theater um but then but but it's but it's still yeah but But it's still still, it still is still like yeah i mean like you know unless you're gonna pay like unless you were in one of those cafe tables or on the stage you felt like you were watching a broadway show that was meant to be something else but i I will say it was impressive what they did like what they agreed the design agreed um yeah so but then unfortunately the show started <laughs> um and for me it like the show opens in like kind of an off-putting way so i don't know you 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 remember the show enough right? i remember it enough but i don't remember the opening okay so there's like a great this, sign <laughs> there's this disembodied prologue that's sung by the full company oh um yes, yes it has nothing to do with it and and so here's like a lyric from the prologue and this is all in your program. You are at the opera. You're going to have to study up a little bit if you want to keep keep with the plot because it's a complicated Russian novel. Everybody's got nine different names, so look it up in your program. We'd appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Da 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 da. Raz, dva, this is all in your program. You are at the opera. Gonna have to study up a little bit if you want to keep with the plot. Because it's a complicated Russian novel. Everyone's got nine different names. So look it up in your program. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Da-da-da. 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 
I actually, it's so funny that you fucking cite that because I loved that. And then, yeah, I loved it. But then nothing like that ever comes back. Exactly. That was the problem, is then they just threw it away. I'm like, you know, if there were moments where people were like helping you along, totally, totally, totally. That could have been an interesting device. That makes me hate the prologue even more, but I actually found it. I was a little more on the fence about it. I found the tone like a little iffy. Like, I feel like it's sort of like wants to be tongue in cheek, but it. It, to me, it seemed kind of like a little bit pretentious and like congratulatory. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like sung through, but I, I wouldn't really call this an opera, which is what it's how it's referring to itself in the prologue. Also, like, why would you start your show by essentially like humble bragging that it's complicated and requires a lot of attention and like also kind of insulting the audience at the same time while being like winky about it? Like, I don't know. Like, it was like. But have you ever, like, because I think that, okay, my my interpretation is as, I don't know if you ever were in a class where you, like, had to read Chekhov. Yeah. Or you were, you had to read. I took, like, like, an entire course in senior year of, like, Russian women's literature. And there's, like, 8,000 characters. Exactly. And they all have all these names. So I felt like it was something that was actually, um, in a good way, saying to the audience, you know what this is going to be like if you haven't read War and Peace. Like he, I just, I took that as a. I a think you could take it. You could take it both ways. I think it, I found it like a little like lazy. I was like, if you're coming to the show, you you kind of know. I was like, yeah. you kind of know that it's going to be based on a chunk of this Russian novel, and there's going to be a bajillion characters. Uh, yeah, I don't. But yeah, to your point, then nothing like that ever exists. Yeah, that's then in the that's rest why of the show, I lost. Which I think we can like totally. Which we can certainly agree on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm like not even going to say much about Act One because my sense memory of it was like not dissimilar to like seeing Evita. Um, like I think I wanted to ask myself at intermission if it was in English. Uh, like a, a lot, of, a lot seems to happen plot wise, but it wasn't even the it wasn't even the complication of it. It's like I just didn't care like yeah at all like didn't care like i was like the emoji with like the dead eyes and the single line of mouth like i was like having no like reaction to anything like for me it was just like a bunch of like jumping on tables and people like running through the aisles but like it it just didn't just didn't do anything for me Um, and we and we were on so we were in the last row of the orchestra okay and and there was actually one of those sort of runways that came pretty pretty close back there i mean there was there was you know there were like bar like like women singing and Uh like uh slopping uh beer around and which i'm sure wasn't really (laughs) beer and uh so so we were a little more in it we were not in the balcony yeah the the funny thing you that you (laughs) it was just two acts right <laughs> yes, it just felt longer. <laughs> but anyway, it's like the jumping on tables. It was kind of like the like when we were talking about wicked people running stage left to right. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh it was sort God. of like, like but all this why? unnecessary yes, movement. Yes, unnecessary yes. movement is like, so. When when I got to the end of Act One, because the only thing that had <laughs> really well, two things had kept me like super occupied during okay. the show. Which one was I saw it with our with Kennedy Coggle, who you know we worked with. Oh, and who oh, um, she was yeah, in this? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god, so I totally didn't I, know that. Well, the thing is, is and she was. It was actually kind of difficult to figure out who she was because everybody had so <laughs> yeah, many yeah, clothes so many on, and, and she, right. yeah, 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 yeah. 
And um, but once I figured out who she was and I was like, oh, Kennedy's on stage. I'm going to watch Kennedy. And then the other thing is, and this is a complete tangent, is that sitting in front of me is Matt McGrath. And Matt McGrath was the guy who I saw do Hedvig. He was the last replacement of the original off-Broadway production. And I was like, John, I was like, John, that's Matt McGrath. I think that's Matt McGrath. And he was like, I think you're right. That is Matt McGrath because he must know him from you know, cast, yeah, yeah, yeah. the casting world. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I am, I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry. I know that you hate it when I do this. It's like my mother, but I have to say something. I have to oh, say something. No, you did not. So I no, went up to Matt not. McGrath and I was like, I'm so sorry, <laughs> sir, but I have to tell you that I saw you in Hedvig and you were fucking amazing. And his, it was one of those oh, moments God. where I was, was like, thank energy. God I made that choice because his his whole face lit up because I could tell initially cool. when I when I tapped him on yeah. the shoulder, he was like, what's happening? Yeah. And his whole face lit up and he was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. I can't believe you saw that, you know, because he didn't do the show for that long. Sure, sure. So sure. Um, it was I was I was like, so that's what I remember. <laughs> from act one. I know you. Oh, my God. You're like having a star fucker moment about a much better theatrical experience. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god i love that yeah i love that oh yeah well so like what else do i have to say oh yeah so but i will say like sitting so far in the balcony even with all of the distractions like sitting far back allowed me to focus a little bit more on the words music and lyrics which i just don't think like that kind of scrutiny is like particularly kind to the show i remember thinking through the whole first act like this is just like not strong enough to like warrant like being this in this broadway house right, right. um and thinking like oh my god i really should have fucking seen this like right. nova or the tent and i probably would like like this um yep. yep yeah so i listened to a large chunk of the score again to prepare for this because i'm like i had seen it i was like one and done i had seen the show um yeah, yeah you, was, didn't like, you didn't download it you didn't never would have listened home. to this yeah. music yeah. again um yeah. and I was, I was i was listening through it like walking through the park and i was like oh my god i'm again getting some like avita vibes here <laughs> just gonna like compare everything i dislike to evita um but it's like it's sung through like evita and the music to me feels like super pretentious um and somebody trying to like write a quote opera um it's also like totally schizophrenic like evita where it's just like constantly jumping to and fro which i'm like maybe the staging of them jumping on tables makes sense because i feel like that's like also like the music it's just like like all over the fucking place uh, and I don't really feel like the musical styles necessarily fit the time and place. It just jumps everywhere. Um, and there's the same thing with Evita where the, then there are these like occasional half-hearted nods, but like, instead of like Evita's flamenco guitar here, we have like this accordion that kind of pops right. in and yes, out. I remember the accordion. Rolling I do eyes. love an accordion though. Well, I, have I know. To say. I, I mean, know. It's, it's just, I know. No I understand. I understand. Consistency or, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So actually, so I told you I was basically like catatonic through like the first act, but uh, I didn't have like any emotional reaction whatsoever until act two. Um, I was like, <laughs> at that point, like pretty checked out, honestly, it was just like glazed over. And then all of a sudden there's like this third song in act two, um, something called Sonia Alone, um, where like seemingly out of nowhere, the score, uh, it takes its turn into something that sounds like literally like Loretta Lynn or something. 
Um, it's actually kind of pretty, but it's like totally out of left field. Also, the actress had all of these really insane vocal affectations and she was like acting with a capital a like totally like mommy dearest like just like schmacting um and because i was like keep in mind i was just like glazed over and i had literally no idea what was going on with the plot and the performance was like so over the top campy and all of a sudden i'm like who the fuck is this woman singing like a loretta lynn song now and i just started like losing it just like laughing my ass off like total like church giggles in the seat hard as it is in the coming days i watch my friend in her strange unnatural state don't let her out of my sight She trails off, stares at nothing Laughs at random And the letters come And I'm like, like, you know that experience Where like, yeah. where like yeah. you're seeing something bad And like, you're kind of just like, whatever And then something happens that you're just like this is so ridiculous. And you and, just start yeah, laughing. There's like this level of absurdity. Of that, absurdity. That, like that, yeah, that yeah. was it. And so, so I listened to the song again and was like giggling. Like, do, do you know which song I'm, I'm I, talking I, about? I, I may know which song you're talking about. <laughs> and I think that when we saw it, yeah. we saw like one of the, it was toward the end for sure of okay. the run. And they, I don't know if you remember this, but there was this bizarre stunt casting suddenly of Ingrid Michaelson. And I'm oh pretty fucking, God. yes, I had actually I forgotten blo- that. I blocked that out of my memory. That sounds like vaguely familiar. but And I'm, I'm pretty like, sure that Ingrid Michaelson sang she, that song. She must have sang that so song. So I she think for have. me, it didn't, it didn't strike me as <laughs> odd as much as I was excited because Ingrid Michaelson was singing and I yeah. love Ingrid Michaelson. And she didn't have like that much to do in in the show overall, totally. um, which I was kind of impressed with. I thought, oh, that's cool that she took that she like, actually, this like, very this. like little, you know, it's kind of a, 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 a what do you call it, supporting role, yeah. and and she was very she was very strong. You know, she sounded I fi- like I finally Michaelson. saw her alive last year, by the way, and she was great. Like, oh, great. I think you told me that, and I was really annoyed that you didn't invite me. <laughs> Yeah, she did, she does like an annual holiday show here, which yeah, we'll see about this year. But uh, she does like she's been doing it for a number of years. And I finally saw it, and she was great. Uh, well, she probably had a much more honest and less mommy dearest. Uh, yeah, I would say. Uh, I would say I could towards bet the song. On that. Like I would say, I could bet on that. Totally, totally campy, and I will like you have to listen to it. Like after we're done here. Okay. Okay. Um, so, like, putting putting aside "Mommy Dearest," uh, the only other thing I can sort of remember, other than the you know the endless blur of people jumping around, is that Josh Groban, of course, as you know, was on it. Oh, um, did you see him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. he had left. Okay. Oh, he yeah. Had left okay. Where we saw it. Okay. So, like, he sings like a handful of power ballads in the show. Um, he sings something ridiculous called "Dust and Ashes." We are children of dust and ashes But when we fall in love we wake up And we are a god and angels we But if 
if I die here tonight, I die in my sleep. Ridiculous name for a song. And the finale, The Great Comet of 1812. I mean, maybe there's others. I like. I don't really know. Um, I don't really recall that he had much to do through the show. I just sort of like, I just remember. Was he that, the like, writer? I just remember that the plot would grind to a halt and he would like jump up and do his like Josh Groban shtick and everyone. Did he like, jump oh. up from a table because he was like the writer? Maybe. Oh God. I, like I, I can't said, believe I don't it. know. Like, I don't know. I will say and, that. And, yeah, I, I want to think... say that he wore a fat suit, but I could be making that up. But I swear what? to God, I remember the entire production watching and thinking, is Josh Groban wearing a fat suit? I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that I ever if he just was a little more plump than I remember him, or or if he was wearing padding after all, but I feel like I want to look that up. <laughs> we should definitely I didn't look, look that it up. up. Yeah. And so I also like, have to look up who was playing that role when we saw it, because mm. again, I would say we got the better end of the stick on both fronts there um, <laughs> probably because the the probably. guy who played that role it, i don't know his name at all but he mm. was in the original cast of hamilton and oh. he was i i mean again he didn't was have a lot name, to do was but he name was like, really strong oh my god i'm gonna butcher it something like no, probably okiaret yep oh no okay yeah well uh, quick aside here so he you saw it um he was in it in like july of that year i don't know if you remember but he there was this whole controversy oh yeah controversies around him which he was supposed to be in it for longer and he actually got pretty decent yeah. reviews but uh the producers stepped in because the ticket sales were flagging um and so News broke that uh, they had cast the one and only. Do you know? Who, do you remember who they cast in the role? Oh God! Do you remember? No, I remember this up? moment. Do you remember who comes up in every single episode of this podcast? Mandy fucking Patinkin. Oh my God! <laughs> I, I do remember this, this now. <laughs> I do remember this now. Ah. Uh. Which was a huge, he was, he was, he was the best part. He and Ingrid Michaelson, like I said, I think we saw, uh, if you had seen the production we saw, I think you would have felt differently. I still agree with you on all fronts, yeah. but I definitely had like a much better experience. I also got to tell Matt McGrath how much I loved him in Hedvig, but I can't. Yeah, I remember this. And didn't they, didn't they shut the fucking production down? They did. They? That ended up like shutting down the production because there was like this big uproar and they were like, oh, my God, how dare you? Like, and it was like definitely controversial because it was like a black actor. And then like, yeah, you know, and Mandy they were putting fucking Mandy Patinkin, fucking know, which is like, in. what is he doing being cast in that role? It was <laughs> like, so weird. It was, it was very so wrong and so weird. Very, oh very, very God, strange. I had forgotten about that. But yeah, so speaking of like actors who played that role of Pierre, um, I did. You may have known this, but I actually didn't know this until I was reading up on this. That Dave Malloy, the writer, he was also the performer. I did know that. Like yep. basically up until the Broadway version, yep. I think. And yep. I was like, I read that, and I was like, okay, that makes perfect sense because that is exhausting. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So that means, like, for the original production, that he was the composer, lyricist, orchestrator, music director, and performer. Oh um, my god! 
I mean, and he's probably a perfectly lovely person. I, I don't know him, but I just, I do hate it when people write, yeah. like write yeah. material and put themselves into it. It's like how much talent is out there. It's yep. like, and you survey this landscape of like yeah. thousands and thousands of like professional talented actors. And you're yeah. like, no, I, I am the right person to, to yeah. sell this role. It's, it's, again, it's absurd. It's absurd. it's absurd. Like, it's like, I mean, how much do you have to think of yourself? And I have to say, like, that was one of the misses for me, the misses for me with, with Hamilton. Yeah. Um, feel yeah. like the beehive of Lin-Manuel Miranda will come for me, but I uh, think it's Lin-Manuel, isn't Lin -Man it? Lin-Manuel. Manuel, <laughs> I think I have a speech impediment today. I don't know. I'm from Indiana. But we we have to talk about that at some point, obviously. But yes, yeah, yes, I, yes, I yes. mean, not that he wasn't good. Just like yeah. I, I just, I just inherently find that off putting. That it's like get it difficult for me to get behind it. Like, yes. it doesn't matter who it is. Well, uh, I think it makes so. I think with both of these productions, I could imagine an argument where it makes sense. Obviously, because I th I imagine certainly through um, all of the iterations of of Pierre, there was probably so many changes, and for the writer to be able to 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 do them in that moment and be able to like learn them so quickly because all of that material was sort of already in their head on mm -hmm. in both cases. But there ha for me, it's like exactly what you said. At some point, when it gets to you know, there's some level that it gets to, then hand it like, off let to it, the let person it who hand is. It yeah, off. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I can I can see the argument for it, but I completely agree with you. And it is yeah, and I I take your point about it while it's in development and everything, you know. And I kind of still give John Cameron Mitchell a pass on Hedvig just because it's so singular and like you know. Well, I mean, and but... they were developing that in a fucking club at a with a rock totally. band. Like, I feel like he, that's just different. He but... was that character. Yeah. it's not like it's yeah. not like he was. But... Like this yeah. was like Pierre was like one character of a you know of yeah, many exactly. in something exactly. that like you think is an opera. So like I'm just like so it's a little different when it's a solo many. show. Yes, yeah. I'm like yeah. like any like anyone could have done this role. I was like, wait, why did it need to be you? But yeah, yeah. But I, I do didn't remember see that the show. Controversy I didn't see and... the show, and maybe he was amazing in it. Oh, the yeah, yeah. Um, there was also another controversy. Which was the um, with Pierre? No, I mean this was like less of a, a less of a thing. But Ars Nova, I remember there was the whole thing with the billing. Oh, like, yeah, between the producers, because yes. they were supposed to bill it a certain way. Is like the Ars Nova production. Oh, yep. And, yeah, yep. That, that yep. Kind of I do remember it, that. That kind of. I don't actually it. know how that ended. Uh, there was like a settlement of some sort. Oh, yeah. okay. Um. Last thing, last little amusing anecdote about seeing the show is we were, um, you know, because they like, like I said, they like moved little cabaret tables into it. And so there were like little clusters of seats. And so we were kind of like my friends and I like we were there and then there was like one other seat sort of like in our cluster of seats. Um, and it was this like Josh Groban super fan oh. um, who was like a bit of a character. Um he had traveled from North Carolina by train to New York City. Uh, oh my God. Specifically to see Josh Groban. Um, he had also been drinking an entire bottle of bourbon on the train and was like totally trashed. Um, and like every was time. Was this that... like a gay fan of Josh Groban? 
or well i'm not sure because like like that was he what like I, in that, love with josh groban or that, did he that's just what was unclear because like josh groban would like <laughs> josh groban would like pop up and he'd be like clutching his pearls but the kicker is is he was like allegedly straight and was like texting his wife but then like also chatting us up about like where to go after the show um i also vaguely remember that he was wearing some like ridiculous like sort of red velvet jacket and that he was like pulling pulling from a flask throughout the show but i feel like i maybe i might be making up that last part i might have made that up in my brain i I mean i may need to corroborate that i'm pretty sure about the red velvet jacket but i'm not jacket but i'm not sure about the actual drinking of the flask flask? but but he was was definitely said that he drank an entire bottle of bourbon on the train up from north carolina i mean if you're taking the train up from north carolina you're probably going to bring a flask I mean, I guess, but there was just so many like what the fucks about that situation. Ah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah, so, when we saw Adele at the Beacon? And we, <laughs> nope. We yeah, as a matter of fact, I don't, <laughs> because you were like, "Yeah, what's drinking this bourbon?" It's like when we will never have the experience of seeing Adele in that small of a venue again, and we basically ruined it for ourselves. We have some photos. <laughs> So we know we were there. Oh my god, I remember like the first three songs. <laughs> like maybe like Roll in the Deep or something, but I don't know. I don't know. She had like a really uh, good opener too. Oh, Adele. She did. I don't remember who it was. Oh, the Civil Wars or something. Um Yeah, anyway, so in summary of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of eighteen twelve, I don't hate this show. I really don't hate it. Um, I just think it's exhausting and pretentious. Um, I definitely would have enjoyed it if I saw it in in the tent and I was like eating and drinking wine um, and probably half paying attention. Um, not sitting near a Josh Groban super fan and a bourbon blackout. Um, also, like PSA, don't put, a, don't put a Loretta Lynn song in your Russian musical uh, or write yourself a starring role with multiple power ballads so you can showcase your own supposed acting chops. That's what I have to say about that musical. Oh, that's a good one. That was you a total, to- total surprise. Yeah. But, really? But- huh. I yeah I I don't e- I didn't even have that in my head no. like I feel like I need to go back and and go through my fucking playbills because I'm every time we are getting ready to record I'm like there's so few things on these lists and I know I've seen a lot more stuff than this yeah. so that one honestly like yeah I just huh. forgot that I saw that show until you started talking about it so I'm well again am, it made me nervous to talk about because it's like very recent Broadway history and like. Uh, you saying that Kennedy was in it. I was like, oh my God, I feel guilty about everything that I'm saying. But like the actors were good in the music. Oh no, it was, yeah. And I I mean, I just had a weird, weird experience with it. And honestly, uh, except for some of the, you know, running to and fro that we've previously discussed, I felt like the direction was really strong. Mm-hmm. The design was yeah. really strong. It was yeah. just the show. It was really that, the, the show. It was me. the show. So, so, yep. so. Yeah. um, great. Well, that was, that was fun. I mean, I, yeah. So, all right, we're done, I guess. Till next was time. It. Love, hate, and, uh, celebrate. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> it's pride month. I could um, oh, be, although be who proud knows if it still will be when we when you're when you're hearing this. All right. Till next time. Tune in.